Welcome to another Remarkable Podcast. I'm your host, Mark, and today we're joined by Alberto Silvera. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me. Thank you, Mark, and it's a pleasure for me to be here with you today. So for the listeners out there, can you tell us a bit about your background? Absolutely. Where do I start? Let me start sharing that um, I'm originally from Brazil, so it's better that I say that up front, as you're going to be realizing my accent. But uh, I, I graduated in computer science about 20 years ago, and, um, and I've been in New York for the past 15 years or so. I've been working for many different companies, industries, took my MBA in 2013. But the reality is I ended up getting tired of the winter in New York and shoveling snow. So recently moved to Austin, Texas, and uh, so far it's been great. I'm also like a boulder sailor father, and uh, recently I also became a, a writer. And I love the art of gathering people. So that's a little bit about my background, Mark. So on that note about you being a writer, how did that journey lead to you writing your book? Well, very, very good question, Mark. It was a quite challenging journey, to be honest. Coming all the way from south of Brazil, where I grew up, to the Big Apple, it wasn't like a short or easy journey. There's the technical aspect of it, of course, having a background in computer science that actually helped me cross the equator. But uh, the culture differences and all the challenge that comes from move from south to north, I guess, it's been quite challenging. But all that inspired me to my current days, to like back in the day, to be writing this book. If I had to summarize to you, it's like taking risks and have some, some failures and uh, learning and doing that again. That's kind of like what inspired me from my early days to my professional life. That's been with me for quite some time, I guess. And then most recently, when the pandemic hit in my previous company, we did have the pandemic. At the time, we just got acquired by uh, the largest education company, I guess, in the world. And we had like all that at the same time. What I realized, Mark, was this. Practices and things that we've been doing for many years, I realized that the rest of the world were not prepared. And then uh, I remember that on the same week, I got two people, one being my former boss at the time, why you don't write a book, Alberto, about like building high-performance teams? You're so passionate about that, and uh, you you seem to have like the the process, and, and the world needs to know that. I said, really? Hmm. At the same week, uh, I got like another uh, another person, which I respect a lot, is a professor of NYU, asking me like, hey, how do you actually can keep your team operating in high performance in the middle of pandemic when the rest of the world is trying to figure out what to do? I said, huh, that might be a sign. The next week at five in the morning, I woke up and I opened like a, a blank page. And that's when I started writing the book. I never stopped since then. And it was six months later, I had like a book in the shelf. So that was pretty quick and uh, enthusiastic journey, I guess. Wow. That's really impressive to hear. And I didn't know that professor from NYU actually reached out to you as well to write the book. Yep. It was a sign, Mark. It was a sign. Well, I wasn't expecting that as well, but it, it was like a really big shot for me because I, I never thought that I would ever be able or even capable of writing a book. But I guess when you're really passionate about the topic, everything is possible. Yeah. And here we are today, right? Oh, yes. You have the book and it's sold many copies. So that's amazing. And so in the book, one thing that I really like was your analogy of running teams and sailing. Can you go deeper into that? Oh, Mark, I realized that those two things have more in common than uh, people can actually realize. I see like business is much like a regatta. And then people say, what do you mean and how come? 
it's pretty simple basically every role when you're like in a regatta or like you're sailing it's important same when you're like in a team every single person may have like different responsibilities but the role that they play to achieve a collective goal it's very similar so it's when you are like in a sailing boat the only source of power is wind so you, it becomes more sensitive and like on how the movements and how mistakes actually surface on the end result in a team is the same thing like every person has its own responsibility people need to have autonomy people need to be empowered to make the decisions at the time knowing the north star so i think sailing and i carry this with my teams it's so so compared and if you if you see like the front cover of my book and i carry that theme throughout the the whole book i have like the sailing boats forming like a fleet trying to represent many teams in an organization navigating towards to the same collective goal so it's pretty interesting and it it's very much connected and i believe that when people can actually bring things from the day to day to pleasant things in life things that they are they love and they passion they tend to actually learn and make it easier for learning that's why i actually do that metaphor and i use a lot of like a boating and business much like a regatta whenever i have the opportunity to got it you also mention in your book a lot about metrics why are metrics so important another good question mark you are like on fire today i would say this how do we know that we are moving the one to many boats that you have in your organization towards to the right direction and that we are not just spinning around so it's super important to measure like the milestones and make sure that everyone individually and collectively it's moving towards to the same direction i've worked in organizations mark and uh, or in part of teams that people get so obsessed with metrics and they ask me like questions like what is the metric that you look for well my first response is like there's not a single one magic metric that can actually measure the performance of high performance teams it's a combination of metrics so i like for instance and you remember from the time that we worked together like the metrics of mood like how people are feeling how people are like in that in kind of environment like and how process changes or like whatever happens in the, on 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 the organization it's impacting people's mood so many people may tend to go like to activity metrics which is like you know just uh, like relate to the coding like code commits pr throughput which are great but only tells part of the story so if you want to actually have metrics that will tell you a whole story you have to be looking from different perspectives but one thing that i would say mark and that is actually what i love to say whenever i have the opportunity to to leaders or anyone in the boat metric must lead to improvements if metrics you're collecting metrics for the sake of collecting metrics that will potentially even demoralize the human beings on that group so in order to build high performance teams i always like to say that we have methods measurement and people and this is like a important triangular structure for building high performance teams and these three elements must be leading to continuous improvement to like to some action so think about this what metrics you have currently in your team and what outcomes you expect from it if you cannot answer that then revisit what you are measuring that's why i love metrics so much agree with you like metrics being the quantitative thing that you're looking for but then don't forget about the qualitative thing or maybe your end goal or your vision or your north star like you mentioned right yes and people right like the people uh, it's super super um key to all this metric conversation so that's what i would say mark 
just to go on from that, you know, you also talk about communication and collaboration. I think that also is a tricky thing. How do you know when you're doing it right? Yeah, communication collaboration is, if we think about what is the foundation from it, it's a group of people having an alignment and making sure that they're actually interacting with each other. Every time that we have humans in the equation, that becomes a little bit more complicated. But there are like some practices and techniques that can help you to validate that you are doing that right. But I think it goes back a little bit to the question, like, how do we know that we're moving towards to the North Star? And it even correlates with the previous metric, which is about, well, with the previous questions, which is about metrics. But in summary, you can, yes, definitely get collaboration metrics when you're working a distributed team by checking the interactions among people. If you use Slack or Microsoft Teams, you can check like the metrics. Are people talk more in direct messages or like in group channels and see how they are collaborating? You can get metrics from the calendars. Do you have like too many meetings? How many hours like individual contributors have for them to be focusing? So you can absolutely get metrics that can help you to identify communication and collaboration. What I like to do, Mark, on, on top of that, I think that uh, those are like good things. And please do not forget like the well-being of the team is to divide in three main pillars. Like a high-performance team, they do have good documentation. They don't have like technical writers dedicated to do that, but they have everyone empowered to make documentation, to write documentation. I like to say this, Mark, and you probably remember from our time together. If it's not written down, it doesn't exist. So if you have an idea, if you have like a suggestion on how to do things better, write that down. What problem we are trying to solve? What's our goal? How do we going to be measuring success? Why are we doing this now? So writing those documentations, it's super key. We also have to structure our communication. How much time do you have in a day to be actually focusing on what you really need to do? How much time you have to collaborate and what times are you collaborating? You know that uh, in a diverse team and a distributed team, you have people work from many different locations. So it's important that there's like an agreement on what is the collaboration time. And the last is like the pillar on the communication is like catch up. I like to call that catch up time. And this I actually have in the bookmark, but I first read on in a book that's called like Remote. Uh, I'm not sure if you read that one, which talks about catch up, collaboration and focus time. And these three slicing the day in three will help you communicate. And last but not least, meetings. Who likes meetings? No one. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're like good ones, but I think like it's engagement, right? So if you have engagement and agenda and the cost, measure the cost of those meetings. If you realize that becomes too expensive, just don't do it. Going back to your original question mark, communication and collaboration, think about this. It's humans that they need to have the time to focus. Don't actually have like eight hours of meetings in your people's calendar. Because as a result, how many times you actually heard like, oh, I start working once the day is done, then I'm done with the meetings, and then now I can actually do, do real work. If your organization have that kind of like, you have to step back and revisit. But write things down, make sure that people have like time for collaborate, but also time to focus on doing actually non-collaboration work and meetings, you have to revisit those. When you have like those three things working in, with high synergy, that's when you know that your communication and collaboration are doing well. I see, I see. Wow. Something that I've noticed also and throughout your book that previously you mentioned the three main pillars that helps improve communication collaboration, that there is also this concept of threes. Why is that number so magical? 
I like things to be as digestible as possible. And I think the number three, it brings like the right balance. And as anything else in life, balance, it's super hard to achieve. So I think it's not too much or too little. I try to bring the rule of three. That's how I call in the book. I try to bring the rule of three whenever it's possible, just as a way or practice or a methodology for making it easier for people to learn. That's how I do it. And it works pretty well for me. What is the top three things that you can take from this conversation? What's like the three things that's going to make us move forward? And I think that brings the same as like the three, three le uh, legs is tall that bring that can actually adapt in that, that I was inspired by that. And it's incredible how it works. A four might be too much. A two wouldn't actually never bring the balance. Three works out, Mark. It works. Yeah. And I guess chemists would also agree with you, right? Three being the triangular is the most structurally sound shape. Absolutely. And we can talk about that later in another time, Mark, but there's um, the concept that uh, you probably remember, the Iron Triangle. When you're building digital products, product management, product design, and engineering, if you have that foundation, you're going to be building more inclusive, diverse, and better products because you have three different angles building digital products. So the three is, it, it is a magical number, and I think it's all about the balance, the right balance. Mm-hmm. In terms of the obstacles, what kind of obstacles do you face when building an engineering team? That's a hard one to come up with one or maybe a few to share because it's so many. There's so many obstacles. But I would say this. Every team that I worked on in my career, every team is a different story. It's the same as like you're like in a regatta. Every race is a different one. The wind conditions, the weather, the current, everything changes. But the principles remain the same. So building teams in different organizations, different industries, it's like, again, going back to the regatta example, it's like going like in a different race. But the principles and how you connect and how you engage people, I think that's probably, if I have to pick one challenge, is like, how do you put people together? It's going to be different industries, it's going to be different things, Mark, but putting people together, get them excited, I think that's the hardest thing. We can never underestimate what a team with a purpose can achieve, right? So how can you actually share that purpose and make people feel it? I think that is the biggest challenge. I think you can leverage processes. I think you can leverage like methods. I think you can put people together. And, 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 but that, that engagement, I like to say, I'm sure you probably remember the one team, one heart. It's something like if I had to define is the synergy that comes from people feeling good about their place in the team. Because if you have one person or one team that is not aligned with that, Mark, you know, it takes very little to kind of like getting your boat spinning. So I would say defining the purpose, defining the destination and having everyone to feel that so they can give the best version of themselves is probably the hardest thing when building a team. I agree with you 100%. I think that is literally defining the heart and the soul of the team. And that is not just a quantitative thing. That's a cultural, that's a very deeply ingrained thing. That's like trust, believing one another. Absolutely. And think about this, Mark. When we are building teams, especially product engineering teams, we are living in a world that the supply demand on this industry, it's been crazy, right? So I think life is too short for people to wake up in the morning and not do something that they love and believe. So I think there's been like this transformation that we are living in. And it's definitely very different when I started my career compared to today. 
But I think more and more people are seeking jobs or seeking to spend their time. So we think that they really love. So to answer like what obstacles, I think it's constantly changing, but finding the purpose and uh, trying to get people aligned, it's, it's absolutely the number one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, looking back on your obstacles, what would you have done differently? Uh, there's always things that will go wrong. doesn't matter. You may have like the best team. You may have the best instruments and equipment. And, you know, things will go wrong. Guaranteed. What I would say is if I could do things differently, it's like my rule of thumb is like, just don't make the same mistake twice. We are humans and we will make mistakes, everyone in the team. So creating like an environment where people will not be blamed, where they can actually take the chance, take the risk. I think that's what I could have learned differently in life. Took me a little while. I would take mistakes too hard on myself or sometimes even on like on team members, of course, Time and experience, you know, make you learn that <laughs> I like to say this, Mark, there's two ways basically that you can learn from mistakes, the easy way or the hard way. Earlier in my career, I took a little bit on the harder way. Today, I accept and I embrace mistakes as part of my day to day. And I actually have fun with it. Uh, I make like, you know, fun on whenever I make mistakes. But I think that everyone that can actually create every leader or everyone in the boat that can create an environment that making mistakes is, it's okay. We cannot walk until we fall a few times. This is the human nature. So creating that kind of environment, if I could have done that a little early in life, that would be great, but it's better late than never. And I think this is what will make better teams, better societies. It's actually to embrace mistakes as not as something bad. It's just something that is part of human nature, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And that's a really great philosophy and outlook towards making mistakes towards life as well, right? To succeed, you need to take risk, but to take risk means failure. So I agree with you 100% on embracing and learning from mistakes. Absolutely. I like to say this, Mark, mistakes lead to opportunities. Think about like how many times you wouldn't actually achieve a better result if you haven't had like that mistake. How many times that, that happened with you? and with people around you. It's a lot, right? Yeah. So then if there's an existing team, what are some things to be aware of when you want to improve an existing team? There's a lot that could be answered on that question. I like to say this. First, you have to be listening to the signals, you know, listen to people and then make the decisions accordingly, but allow people to give their ideas and to implement their ideas. I think the opposite of that is literally a top-down culture. So you cannot improve a team if you don't allow every single person to give their ideas and to share their ideas and to improve themselves. Whenever I'm creating teams, I like to create mechanisms. Again, going back to very practical, if you have like a Slack channel where you can create a place where people can, if they see something, they can share what they're thinking, they can actually propose an improvement. That's the way that I like to answer your question, Mark. It's creating in like an environment where everyone can actually contribute to navigate the boat faster and more efficiently towards the North Star. Because if we go back to a more traditional environment, what's the opposite? It's just the captain saying where and how we should be doing things. And guess what? It's a human being behind the scenes. He's going to make mistakes. So in an existing teams or like even like in a new team, I think it's creating that environment where People have their voice heard. Right on that. I guess on the concept on new teams then, 
If someone is interested in building a new team, what is a piece of advice that you would give him or her? Jaime, have you realized how hard it is to actually bring people on board? It's being harder and harder and harder. I don't see that actually getting any better. I remember, like twenty years ago, when I first interviewed. I interviewed for so many company when I was started as an engineering. It's changing drastically. Back in the 2000s, when、uh, Google came up with like、uh, some hiring practices, I'm not sure if you remember that. You're probably too young, Mark. But、uh, I've been through those interview processes, and you had to kind of like memorize algorithms and crazy stuff that probably would never actually learn, that you never would actually apply in a day-to-day job. But you had to know all those things. So I think the piece of advice that I would say is like revisit your hiring strategy. See if that aligns with your company, with your mission, and don't try to mimic others' processes. Find a process, an interview process that actually aligns with your culture and what the kind of people that you are trying to bring on board. Think about this. I would like just summarize. Hiring is like as any other relationship. Make that transparent from day one. Don't surprise candidates. I don't think that is a good strategy to make like a longer relationship like healthy if you're trying to hide things up front or trying to surprise. So just rethink about your hiring strategy. Be as transparent as possible. That will attract and help you retain people throughout your journey. So I think that is what I would leave there for people. That's great advice. And you know, just like you mentioned, how hiring has changed from the past to the future. How has building teams changed from the past? I mean, I think we were all people from the time where we would have to be at least eight hours a day, five days a week in an office, and we would have to commute. So that is what I call "quote unquote" the traditional way. There's like other concepts that I bring in the book as well: offshore, remote. What's the difference between remote and distributed? People now talk about the word hybrid. What does that mean? Oh, it's kind of like half like from home or from somewhere else, and、uh, half from the ops. The bottom line is this: I think the pandemic actually didn't change much. Things have been happening just in a slower pace. The pandemic just helped accelerate things. People were working remotely. Some companies wouldn't allow working remote. After pandemic, now you allow remote. What people realized is that the flexibility it's actually good. The ability to actually maybe spending more time with your families and get your children to the bus stop. People spend like generations spend like without actually have that feeling. You know, the time that you leave home is like too early. The time that you come back is probably too late, and kids are like in bed already. So all in all, I think between the traditional and the way that teams were building in the past and how they're going to be building in the future, I think these two questions always come kind of like side by side. I think it's gonna be the balance again, the hardest thing. I think companies that have a more strict work culture will struggle a little bit more. I also think like hybrid is not about just being random decisions. Oh, twice a week come to work. Why twice a week? Why Tuesday and Wednesday, not Monday and Fridays? So regardless of like how combinations, I think the world is changing and it's gonna be changing from the past, which was like 100% offs. I don't think it's going to be a hundred percent all distributed, but I think it will be a mix, quote unquote, hybrid with a purpose. So、um, it's a it's a very complex answer to say. Well, it's a very complex question to start with, but I think it's a mix of things. It's going to vary on the industry. It's going to vary on job types. 
I think it's going to vary in so many variables. There is not one size fits all. I can tell you from my point of view, Mark, I cannot see myself five days a week, 40 hours a week, trying to just commuting and going to work the, on the traditional way. I'm not sure about you, if you could ever do that again, but I enjoy some of the flexibility. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Given that the pandemic came and a lot of things changed, like you said, the acceleration, the disruption, and then people also kind of resigning too, like droves of people resigning and then reflecting what they want and finding meaning in their work again. They realize, hey, there are things that I like, things that I don't like. I do want more flexibility. And we're seeing that this is playing decision in hiring in the economic market and everything. Imagine the impact that that's actually having in society as a whole. Like I, I used to live, for, as I mentioned uh, in the beginning of our conversation, for the past 15 years in New York. So there's like people living in this uh, on the Bay Area, like the, the price of like real estate. And now I, actually when I look around, I'm in the middle of Texas and there's like many, many, many people from California, from uh, New York, just like a huge migration from those states down here. Why is that happening? It's like those people, they cannot see themselves actually going back to those big centers anymore. I think we're just in the beginning of a huge transformation. As I mentioned in, in the book, I think it's like it's, an, it's a new industry revolution. It's much bigger than what we can see in this first, second year. And I think it's going to continue changing, but it's going to be really hard for organizations to enforce people to go back the way that it used to be. I think it's going to be quite challenging. I'm actually excited to see what happens next in the next three to six months to a year to two years. It's going to be quite interesting to see what small companies and big companies are going to actually be, what decisions they're going to be making. Yeah, I think it's very interesting and I'm excited to see what the changes will bring as well. What predictions do you have on how team building will change in the future? I think this aligns very much with the previous answers, but... One thing I can tell you this, and I'm 100% confident about this one, things will not go back the way it was. You just can't. We must have learned something from this world pandemic. If we leave all this without learning that it cannot be the way it was, then I think we need to rethink <laughs> we as humans. But I think like the future of work is the present for many organizations already. Collaboration technology is there. The flexibility is there. I think the lessons from the pandemic is there. I think we have a lot that is currently happening already. What cannot happen is just us to step back. And I think we went from a more traditional world to the opposite of like being completely isolated. I think working distributed is different from being isolated. I think it's, it's having like the combination of like many good things. One thing that people will get confused sometimes, Mark, is that, oh, like living in isolation, that is actually how we're going to be working in the future. No, 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 no. Those are two separate things. Working in a distributed environment doesn't mean that you should actually eliminate the human connection. In fact, you need the human connection. Do you remember when we, work, uh, we worked together in the previous company? We would have like events, like the beginning of the year kickoff or like or the middle of the year, like everyone together. Those activities are super important when you're building like distributed teams. So I think the future for many companies is basically what we've done at our time in the previous company that we worked together, Mark. Yeah, that makes sense. As we become more remote, more distributed, we need to encourage more connectedness. I think that is 100% spot on. Yeah, human connections, which go back to like the purpose, right? Yeah, well, so that's, that's really amazing. And thanks so much for going through all of this and touching upon points on your book. I know we talked about your book a lot, but if people want to learn more about your book, 
Where can they find that? People can find uh, my book, basically where books are sold. Amazon, A-Press, and it's also available in audiobook or any format uh, of your preference. And if people want to learn more about what Alberto is up to, how can they do that? I'm always uh, open for new connections on LinkedIn. I uh, also have my own website, crossingthequator.com. But uh, yeah, just uh, reach out and I'm more than happy to talk and learn from the community and share with the community. So feel free to uh, reach out to me. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for joining this podcast. Mark, thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me to, to be here. And uh, it was an honor for me, honestly. And uh, I really, really enjoyed our conversation today. Great. I wish you luck and stay remarkable. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers.